Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on September 23rd, 2020. I'm Anna Garcia, your host, and our guest today is a previous prosecutor from the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. He is currently a criminal defense attorney, so he's totally like made it about face and gotten to the other side of the table. Joining us is Joshua Ritter. Josh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. Yeah, I worked at the DA's office for about 10 years before uh, flipping over to the dark side, as it were, about five years ago, and I've never looked back, enjoying it myself. Oh, I think that's always the best. You know, when when you can do both sides of the job in the criminal justice system, I think you really get such a comprehension of our system. Oh, absolutely. Talk about perspective of seeing it from both sides. It's pretty amazing. Wow. And I bet you personally went through a journey as well saying, oh, wow, right? Oh, yeah. No, it, w- it was difficult to leave. I mean, you, you definitely start to feel like, you know, you're, you're the ones wearing the white hat and doing the fighting the good cause and everything when you're in the DA's office. So there was a little bit of a emotional journey, uh, sure, that I had to go through to become a defense attorney. But now that I have been, it's opened up my eyes. I, like I said, I've gained perspective and I really enjoy it. Josh, we really want your perspective on our cases this week. Here's what we're looking at. A woman in Florida has been charged with murdering her husband and then burying her husband in the backyard of their home. And as I say, what better way to tell your husband F you than by getting married on top of his secret grave, right? That's where they held the ceremony. How crazy is this? Incredible. The, 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 the poetic irony of all of it. You could tell she was enjoying it. I think so. She's like angry and bitter here. Plus, a man allegedly took a bus ride and filled in his suitcases were body parts of his ex-girlfriend. Now over to Florida, where a woman has been charged with murdering her husband, who had been missing for two years, and he was found buried in the backyard. So let's get a little into the details here, because... When she had her her ceremony, and this is what's weird, is because obviously no one knew he was dead. So clearly she, like, okay, so mystically <laughs> she was getting married, and in the eyes of the law of the law, who knew that he was 
thought he was still alive. She couldn't have gotten married because there were no divorce records. Are you following me? It's like kind of sort of. All right. Uh, I think I'm still stuck on the sick part of where she's getting married on top of her dead, dead husband. Yes. And apparently um, her, well, I guess husband, it's, it's, it's unclear the second husband, the boyfriend, whatever, whoever had the ceremony with her when they put the concrete over his body, the guy didn't know that. I mean, he walked into this picture a little late um, they they kind of like left their initials in the concrete like you do in a funny romantic way, except this funny haha is not, this is horrible. No, it's Horrible incredible. what they've done. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's one thing you can imagine hate taking place between two people, but to go to the lengths that this woman did, um, or, you know, allegedly did, I should say, is pretty incredible. I mean, you have to have incredible amounts of hate to you know, put this elaborate kind of plan together. The, the text messages I thought were fascinating for years afterwards. Right. So basically what Josh is alluding to here is that once she killed him, allegedly killed him, that she pretended that he was still alive by pretending to be him via text messages and on social media. So let's get into the case here. So 37-year-old Lori Shaver has been charged with second-degree murder. She is accused of killing her then 35-year-old husband, Michael Shaver. This would have been back in 2015. But because people weren't sure whether he was missing or something weird was going on, we kind of lost a few years there. So Michael worked at Disney World as a mechanic on the monorail. He disappeared in 2015, but he was not reported missing until 2018 because his wife was pretending that he was alive and sending these text messages, postcards, you name it, flowers, all sorts of things. And so it was actually a friend of Michael's who contacted the police department and said, you know what? Something's very, very weird here. Can you do a welfare check? And the police did. And so they went to the property and they looked around. She let them search the property up until a degree. And then she said, you know what? Contact my attorney because you're going to need a warrant. And then the police came back with two warrants, cadaver dogs and backhoes. They dug up this five acre property and there underneath the fire pit So the fire pit was on a concrete slab, and underneath that was Michael. Michael was wrapped in a sheet. He still had socks and underwear on. And there was confirmation that Michael had not been alive those previous years. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, there's there's so many things that's fascinating about this story, but one of them that stood out to me is what you pointed out. He apparently went was last seen in November of 2015, and they don't discover him or they don't report him missing until February of 2018. And I understand she, she you know, tried this cover up. It was actually sophisticated to some extent and clever to some extent to send the messages, assume his identity on Facebook. But I'm sitting here thinking if my friends and family had only heard from me over text for three months let alone three years, I think they would get suspicious. So it's fascinating to me that it went on this long before anyone finally said, you know what? I understand he texted me, quote unquote. I understand I, you know, somebody received a postcard, but I have not laid eyes on or spoken to this person in now close to three years. That's a fascinating part of this story to me. 
I think that it is because you question what was the nature of his relationship with his family? Were they just the kind of family that didn't get together or, or was something else going on? Because the text messages that she sent to family and friends pretending to be him, according to court records, she would say things like, I'm done. I want to be left alone. I'm moving to Georgia. Please leave me alone. There was a lot of this. I'm going through something. Leave me alone. Right. So it is possible, depending on whatever the history of the family is, like you're getting these text messages. It's like, leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. You're like, wow, he's going through something and let's just let him go through it. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get it. And I think that's why I said she's clever because she did, uh, you know, she, she was clever enough to fool people for at least two close to three years. Um but then it's, it's like she got too cute by half, didn't she? A, a little bit too much with the text messages, a little bit too much with the uh, Facebook messages. And I think part of the way the police were able to unravel this was uh, tracing her IP address back to these text messages. So again, she was you know, caught up by her own scheme. And she also made some mistakes. Some, some, for example, when one of his nieces, when Michael's nieces texted and she was using, I guess, a maiden name. The wife didn't know who she was. So, so kind of uh, responded in a, who is this? Leave me alone kind of response. Fascinating. Right? Which got the niece very like, what do you mean you don't know it's me? So, so she got caught up. She got tripped yeah. by those things, those details that family members would know. I do find it interesting that it would be a friend and not a family member who would call the police. Right. Now, while she's pretending to be him, right, on all forms of social media and communicating with the friends and family that he has, she's draining his bank account, and she's selling off his possessions. Trucks, tools, guns. Of course, the police only discover that after they find the body and they start looking into what the heck was going on. And that's when you actually get the the rest of the story. Did you find that a lot as a prosecutor that that's that really you don't figure out what happened until you have confirmed, yes, someone is dead. Now let's figure out how he's died and what was really going yeah. on. Yeah. You know, cold cases are, are so unique and they're so rare too. Um, and it usually comes down to being able to prove, because you're dealing a lot with circumstantial evidence or old forensic physical evidence, but it usually comes down to no one else could have done this. And so that's, I think, the situation that you have here is that, you know, I mean, listen, they traced her IP address, they find her selling off property. It, 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 the, the, it, it begins to circle in on the only clear suspect here is her. And I think that's why she was arrested. But one of the other kind of fascinating parts of this story to me is they discover the body in January of 2018, but don't make an arrest until two years later. And that's part of the story that I, I think we need to find out more about is what, what were the, I mean, I understand taking your time to do an investigation, right? And that happens routinely, but what two years worth of time to figure out that this is the person who caused it. That's the part that's a little confusing to me. And I'm, I'm hoping to learn more about it. And I don't think that we're going to get that insight yet until yeah. the prosecutor and or investigators reveal that right. because it's true. She's just been arrested. That's what's right. so bizarre. It was two years until they figured out he was dead and then another two years before they built their case. Now, presumably, and you would know much more about this, 
Did it take a lot of time for investigators to figure out, okay, what exactly was the plot? I would argue there was premeditation here, but she's not charged with first-degree murder. She's charged with second-degree murder. That's what's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for first-degree murder, you you have to show premeditation, right? And perhaps they just don't have evidence of that. And so they kind of default down to second-degree murder. And and like I said, I can understand, I, you know, investigations sometimes take time. It takes time to gather DNA and forensic evidence and get that tested. It takes time to get the warrants for the computers and IP addresses and all of that kind of stuff. It takes time for the autopsy, for them to figure out how, you know, what the cause of death was. But still, two years seems like a long period of time when, at least from what we're hearing about now, it seems pretty clear as to who their chief suspect would have been. So I think, yeah, we will find out later. Maybe it might not even be until the trial, but it's a fascinating part of the story. Well, how would that work? Because you you dig up the body, right? And you find out that the body is buried in the backyard and she's been living there and she's the one who did the concrete work, right? Because uh, according to court records, she and her boyfriend bought bags of concrete. They rented a mixer. They built the slab and then they put the fire pit on top of it. So, I mean, are there's how could police not have done something immediately to arrest her? There's a dead body. It's your husband. He's been missing. Hello. Go to jail. Yeah. I I mean, the only thing as I'm sitting here right now, I can think of is perhaps, I mean, did she know there was a dead body? I think that's immediately clear, right? She knew that he was dead and she was covering up for him being dead. But perhaps it came down to, did she murder him? And maybe that's what they were trying to figure out. Was she just covering up a murder? Was she covering up a natural death? Was she covering up for her boyfriend? I don't know. That could have been what took them a while to try to piece this together. But again, still, you know, two years later, and the only person that that you know has been covering up for a dead man is sitting right there. It's pretty amazing. Because when the police asked her when they first came to the house to just do that welfare check, she said, oh, he took off years ago. Yeah, he took off like in a pickup truck. He's gone. Right. And then then the only time she objects to the search is when they want to bring in cadaver dogs. Yes. Right. Exactly. I, I am also curious about what was going on in her world, besides the fact that she's an alleged killer here. Uh, Right after his death, she starts dating. And what is very interesting, and this is all in the um, probable cause affidavit, that for example, she had an affair with a married man, and then I guess she got mad at him. So, pretending to be her husband, right, who everyone else thinks is alive and somewhere else, but is really dead, she sends like flowers and a note to that woman's home, right? Uh, to the woman, to the wife of the man she's having the affair with, <laughs> and reveals and reveals to the wife. That her husband has been having an affair with her, which clo- which causes a huge blow up, but she signs it by as her husband. It's like as if he's mad, you know. It's just people are diabolical. It's incredible. I mean, you know, I mean, talk about assuming this is all true. Talk about the selfishness of I'm unhappy with my marriage. Why don't I just walk away, start a new life? No, I've got to kill you. I've got to ruin another marriage. I've got to ruin the, the lives of everyone else involved, family members and friends and everything. It's, it's just diabolical. And it always makes me think, you know, 
they walk amongst us, right? It's these are everyday folks who you have no idea what they have inside of them. The evil that sometimes lurks just beneath the surface of their skin of what they're capable of doing. And apparently the, you know, these people are now cooperating with the investigation. The the friends who are sharing the text messages and the emails that they received, believing that it was from Michael, but now police know that it's not. Also, these boyfriends that she had, like the one who she married in the backyard on top of her dead husband, he apparently is cooperating with the authorities. And he made a really strange comment. He said that she made a reference that her husband is no longer walking on this earth, which he thought, well, that's a bizarre thing to say. And then he claims that she said something about him being, you know, maybe buried on the property. Now, if I were him, I would not have any kind of a marriage ceremony with this woman. And then he tried to find the divorce records for her marriage, believing that she was divorced. Well, of course, there's no divorce records because you can't divorce a dead man. Of course, nobody knows that he's dead. That's what I mean. There are a lot of weird things that are coming out. No, and no, no one seems to be behaving as you would expect. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. And I think if we go back just a little bit to understand maybe what was going on in this relationship, I'm not sure it's going to give us an answer as to why he may have been murdered or what was going on. And also, they haven't, they haven't revealed the details of how he was murdered. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And and that could come down to they don't know. I mean, who knows how decomposed this body was? Um, you know, coroners do amazing things and, and medical examiners can can figure a lot out. But sometimes they're left, um, you know, flummoxed. The, the body's just too decomposed. They don't they don't know exactly what was the uh, the manner of death. They may know it's a homicide, but they don't know in which way he was killed. Mm-hmm. So here's a little bit of background on what was going on in their lives based on some further court records and also friends and family. So in, in September of 2014, that would have been a year approximately before he was murdered because he was killed in 2015. Right. Lori filed for an injunction for a temporary court protective order against her husband related to accusations of domestic violence. Interesting. So... You know, was he the abuser and then she snapped? Was she the abuser? Were they both abusive? It's kind of hard to know right now. Prior to Michael's disappearance, his co-workers say that he had bruises on his face, arms, and chest. So it showed that he had been in a fight with someone. So if, if the two of them were violent together, this is maybe how he was killed. Right. Michael also told one of his co-workers that Lori had gotten irate. She blew up and punched him with closed fists. Wow. Wow. That might be a part of the reason why it led prosecutors to charge him with the second degree murder. If there is kind of a history of violence, maybe they could see this being a situation where things just got out of hand. She, you know, a, a physical fight turned into a murder. And that's their, their best way of explaining to a jury, at least, what took place. And so do you believe, and we're going to go through some more of this history, but if you already have a documented history of domestic violence, is it possible that her defense is going to be self-defense? I think so. 
I think so. I mean, <laughs> she she's obviously going to have a difficult time with the I didn't do it or I didn't know. I mean, all signs point to her knowing for sure. Unless she tries to say it was boyfriend who did it and I'm just covering up, I think her only defense might be the 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 self-defense. And she may have been laying the groundwork for it. Who knows? by getting that injunction or seeking that injunction. Oh, as if she had been plotting for years how she was going to get rid of him. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, would, would you put anything past someone who's capable of all the other things we talked about? No, I would not. I would not. And for the most part, again, she pretty much got away with it for several years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so clearly it was an effective plan. I mean, think about how cavalier she was when the police came to go search. And she says, go ahead, search away. She was so confident and that she had committed the perfect murder and cover-up, that she had no problem with the police taking a, little, a look around until they asked for those cadaver dogs, and then she knew something was up. Oh, I bet she went to the fire pit and she lit the eternal flame there above <laughs> Michael. I wouldn't put past her, right, ah, yeah. if, if she's that confident in, in herself. What's interesting here is that co-workers are saying she wanted his insurance policy, and there was a text message that was retrieved by the authorities, and this is from Michael saying, she wants my life insurance. And then the the co-worker responds, she's got to kill you first. And then Michael replied, she tried yesterday, I'm sure. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, who knows how much of that is is him joking and him talking about real threats to his life. I mean, now it looks like the latter, you know, eerily it looks like he, he was uh, uh, uh you know foretelling the future of what was going to happen to him so Lori has a defense attorney now he stated that the couple never had a life insurance policy so the fact that if there really wasn't a policy that wouldn't have been a motive and who knows what was going on which i find interesting because doesn't that go toward discrediting some of the things that the victim himself, the dead man, would have said either in a text message or or in emails or have said to other people. Yeah, that's interesting. You're you're almost impeaching the words of a dead man at that point. If if he is speaking to coworkers about things that don't exist, if I were the defense attorney, I would call into question any text message or any comment he had ever made before his death. Yes, I think so. The attorney the wife has now made a statement and he, and this is what he said she did not commit the crime there's other people that law enforcement has failed to look at there's time periods that the state has tried to narrow down to try to make Ms. Shaver look like the culpable party interesting so maybe they are going with the I didn't do it defense That's somebody else did yeah. or if I'm going down you're going down with me yeah I think it's I think it's going to be the boyfriend. I mean, if 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 I were the defense attorney and looking at any kind of reasonable argument, it's got to be the person that helped you bury the body, right? If he has admitted to that. He he admits to doing the cement work and helping with the fire pit, right. but he, he he doesn't say that he's done the that he's buried the body, but we'll see. So a little more difficult argument to make that I didn't know there was a dead body under there. Right. Although it certainly is possible, right? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. It's possible. And they haven't so, arrested him. 
No, they have not. They have not. And he is cooperating with authorities, which is probably what's going to make a difference for him here. So as we said, Lori was just arrested last week, September 17th. It's unbelievable. And and when she was arrested, she told the authorities, you have the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Yeah. But surprisingly, they didn't stop putting the handcuffs on her, though. (laughs) And as we said, she was charged with second degree domestic homicide, and accessory after the fact to second-degree homicide. What does that mean, Josh? Well, usually you charge accessory after the fact when it's the, you're part of the cover-up, not the crime, right? So they, it's a strange way that they filed this because they obviously believe they have evidence that she was part of the murder, right, the second-degree murder, but then they've also charged her, and I don't know if they're doing that alternatively or if they're doing that in addition to, but they believe that they can at least prove, if not that she committed the murder, that she certainly helped cover up the murder. And I think clearly that's far more, uh, it's it's far easier for the prosecution to be able to prove that. We've got the text messages tied to her IP address. We've got the, you know, the the postcard. We've got the, 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 the building, the fire pit. All of these things clearly point towards somebody who's trying to cover up a crime. Even the statements she made to police, he's not here. Um, but the murder itself may be more difficult to prove. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Our second case is as bizarre as they come. This is out of Kentucky, where a man is accused of murdering his girlfriend, chopping her up, and then putting her body parts into suitcases, then getting on a bus with those suitcases rides the bus for five hours and then goes to visit his mother. And it is his mother who thinks that he's acting strangely, also wants to know why the suitcases smell so weird. And he did something really bizarre, like he took one of the suitcases and he put it in the garage. Okay, so so mom is like, something's going on. Plus, when he's there visiting mom... He says to his relatives, hey, can I borrow some clothes? Now, why would you borrow clothes if you have several suitcases with you, right? Yeah. Moms do, right. This mom was on top of things. I mean, and and the 911 call will reveal, you know, what she was thinking. It's incredible. So Melvin Martin, who is 30 years old, was charged on September 16th, and he has been held without bail after his mom found his dead girlfriend. So Martin lives in Kentucky, and he was going to visit his mom in Markham, Illinois. So what I am trying to figure out here, Josh, is what possesses someone? Okay, clearly there's something wrong with him. There's no question about it. Whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. But then take it to the next level, and you carry her yeah. with you. No, he, he there, there was obviously some sort of mental break in this person. I mean, to I can't imagine that this this man was able to walk around for the 30 years of his life and no one would be uh, suspicious of him if he had this inside of him unless he had some sort of mental break. I mean, he clearly, you know, if he was involved in the murder and it sounds like he was, something just broke in his brain that caused him to then put her in a bag and take her home to mama. I mean, it's just fascinating. It's, it's disgusting. And I'll say it again. It, 
you know, they walk amongst us. I mean, if public transportation wasn't scary enough beforehand, now to realize that the guy sitting next to you could have a, you know, somebody's head in his suitcase, it's just scary stuff to think about what people, what people are capable of. It is. It really is frightening. The entire thing is, and I think that's why this case really touches me, because any one of us could have been on the bus with him, right, striking up a conversation. Oh, where are you going? I'm going to go visit my mom. And like, oh, what a nice guy, 30 years old, and he still visits his mom. Do you have a girlfriend? Mm Mm-hmm. She's with me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I think that's why this one actually really scares me. Okay. So here's how... um, Mom made this discovery. Right. Mom takes him to the library in their hometown, drops him off. Then she goes back home, goes to the garage to see what the heck is going on back here, opens up the suitcase, and she freaks out, as you can imagine. And she does the right thing. She calls police immediately. Yeah. She doesn't even like, oh, let me go to the library, pick him up, and ask what's going on here. She calls 911. And this is what she tells the operator. I just took him to the library and I said, let me see what's in the suitcase. Then, you know, and she's talking about how he had taken the suitcase and and to, to the garage. And she tells the 911 operator, you know, I know that my son has been having a hard time. <laughs> so, so clearly, yes, an understatement yeah, without right. question. But... I think what mom is saying here is that she knew something was wrong and he was having a struggle, a really difficult time, but she never knew the magnitude of what he was capable of. Yeah. And, and good. That was something that stood out to me too. Good for mom. I mean, we can, you know, putting ourselves in her shoes for a moment, talk about a horrific discovery. One, I mean, just the discovery of body parts in a bag left alone by itself is, is something that'll, you know, ruin your day (laughs) but then the idea that my son is capable of this i can i I can only imagine the heartbreak and how crushing that was for that mother but she did the right thing like you said she immediately got the authorities involved i'm sure her heart goes out to her son for how he got to this point in his life but she did the right thing so what mom finds is turns out to be her son's girlfriend's head and other remains and apparently it was only half of her the victim is believed to be martin's 31 year old girlfriend latawanda ellington and police believe that she had been dead at least a month incredible and what's amazing is she wasn't all there with him meaning he hadn't taken all of her so now the police of course they come they arrest him and they're asking him, like, what's happened? Where's the rest of her? What did you do? So she had been reported missing. His girlfriend had been reported missing. So that didn't take authorities that long to figure that part out. And then during the interview, the police interview, Martin told investigators where they could find the rest of her back in Kentucky. And as a result of that, they actually found her torso in a park. So now you have two states involved and, and, and investigators, right? Right. Trying to literally not only piece this together, but the poor victim together here. 
So we still don't know the motive. According to the Markham police chief, he says it's not clear to him what happened, but he did give some insight into why he was traveling with her. This is what the police chief says. Martin said to him that as grotesque as it may sound, that he still wanted to at least have a part of her with him. It's incredible. I mean, the, I, I said this before, but the, 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 something broke in this man's brain. I mean, that, you know, not to get too gruesome about it, but you have to think about the time it takes to dismember a human body, the labor that it takes. This is not, this is not easy work. This is physically intensive work to dismember someone. And it could take hours to do this. This man's brain broke when whatever this murder, however it took place, because every single step that he made after that just exposes kind of the, the mental unrest he was suffering from. I'm going to bring something else into the mix, Josh, because when one of his ex-girlfriends saw the news that he's been arrested and had body parts with him and that he's charged with murdering his, his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend freaks out and calls the news and calls her mom because she says that when she was dating Martin, he once held her hostage. Oh, wow. She said she she's surprised that he didn't kill her. And then he also labeled him a sick person. Wow. So maybe it wasn't a snap, you know, that just right. happened, right? Maybe there's some very serious mental illness here yeah something was something was building up it's interesting do we know if he had a um criminal history i'm curious if the prior girlfriend doesn't sound like she ever reported that crime um you know it's it is it, it, it's interesting what we'll find out about his history to see if this was just kind of something that had been mounting yeah well, if the ex-girlfriend and any more come forward, that will give you a picture of what was going on in his world. And don't forget, his mom knew something else was going on, right? Yeah. She knew he was troubled. So Martin is expected to be extradited back to Kentucky to face charges. And he, he reportedly, though, his background does have some charges and arrests for domestic violence. Okay. So he's a, That's, he's a man with a violent history. He's a man with a violent history, but... It, it, many people, unfortunately, have a violent history and don't take it to the depths that we see here. And that, that's the part that's, I think, most troubling is to realize that there are human beings who walk amongst us, who take bus rides, who are capable of this kind of evil. You're scaring me, Josh. <laughs> I'm scaring myself. <laughs> okay, it is time for our comments section. And these are the crime stories that you all are talking about. A Georgia man had to choose between two very important things, between collecting on a winning lottery ticket or running from police, and he chose to run. He ditched the winning lottery ticket, and he ran from sheriff's deputies. Uh, the man was a passenger in a vehicle that had been pulled over for a tag violation, and um, my guess is there were other things going on. Um, apparently, they were carrying other things in the car, so he ran. He took off into the woods. He left his backpack, which had the winning lottery ticket, but there was also methamphetamine inside. Oops. So <laughs> could explain why he ran very fast. <laughs> the unidentified man was later taken into custody. The sheriff's office said that the man 
can have his lottery ticket back, but he will not be getting his meth. That's, that's, that's where I, I love that part. <laughs> I know that's where they draw the line. It's like, no. <laughs> so these are the comments. Johnny C writes, he's going to need that money for a lawyer. The funny sure thing won't. is we don't know how much the lottery ticket is worth, right? I guess it I'm, wasn't too much because he ran. If, if we're talking <laughs> millions, I would have sat in the car. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Donna F. writes, that is a good ploy to get the culprit to come in by himself, right? <laughs> I would really, do you have my backpack? Have you seen it? Hey, yeah, No, it's nothing, nothing. I just need it back. I'm really funny. Yeah. Okay. Police in Colorado are offering a $10,000 reward for the apprehension of the powder puff bandit bank robber. I always find this so, so weird. You know, it's so funny that the FBI comes up with these crazy names for all these bandits. It's just, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, funny enough, this reminded me of a, a case I handled when I was in the DA's office. They called her the pink shoe bandit because every, every, Every crime that we had on video, one thing that was consistent was she was wearing pink, sne pink sneakers. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so was she a bank robber or she was, what was her thing? It was uh, stores. It was like game where they, they sell video games, stores like that. She'd go in, rob them, you know, face covered, no way to identify her. But one thing that was consistent in every video were these bright pink shoes. You know, a gal is a gal. <laughs> <laughs> You <laughs> just can't take style out of the gal. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Well, uh, this guy, the Powder Puff Bandit, okay, has been called this because he covers his face with tattoos and makeup. Okay. I guess that's an okay name. But they do know who he is. Um, they just want to find him and they want to arrest him. They believe his name is Paul James Hernandez. He's 33 years old. Authorities say that Hernandez is wanted for nine bank robberies just wow. this year. And he's previously spent nearly three years in prison for a bank robbery in 2007. Um, so he's got a history of this. And what ended up happening, the reason he's not where he should be, meaning behind bars, is because he skipped. And he's got to support himself. And apparently his trade is bank robbery. All right. So the and, FBI's. And, and cosmetics. <laughs> yes, right. that's right. And cosmetics. And amateur it's, cosmetologist in the meantime. You know, these days it's very good to have a second skill set, <laughs> I say. According to a bulletin that's been released by the FBI, Hernandez has a female accomplice. Her name is Mary Bannigan, and she's 27 years old. And they are accused of holding up five banks in the Denver area just in August and September. So Nisha Q writes, girl, you a damn fool, and now you are on the most wanted list. Definitely not keeping good company here. I agree with you, Nisha. Steffi L writes, imagine thinking that you're a hard AF and getting called powder puff. Denise J writes, try saying that three times really fast. Powder puff bandit bank robber. I'll say it once. I will not go for several times. All right, that is it for our show this week. Joshua, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can people find you either on social media or if they find themselves in need of a criminal defense attorney? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I work for the law firm of Worksman Jackson and Quinn in Los Angeles. Um, our website is worksmanjackson.com and that's W-E-R-K-S-M-A-N and then jackson.com. And that's where they can find me. And that's where we uh, put up our little news stories ourselves. Oh, really? That's great. And we will uh, link to that when um, 
we post this. So that'll make it a little easier for everyone as everyone's trying to spell everything looking for you. Sure. And you can always find me on all social media platforms at Anna G. That's Anna with one and Anna G News. And of course, here on our YouTube channel, I love to hear your comments. People have such great comments and sometimes they have like theories and motives that don't come up during the discussion. So I really like to hear. We've got some some sleuths out there that always bring out some great facts for us or theories. And you know I read them. (laughs) If you've been following this, you know I read your comments and I respond. As always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, of course, you can watch on YouTube and you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. Don't do crime.